last week, and if, if you weren't here last week, um, I, I listened to the message online, which I, I always do. <clears throat> I thought it was just a really incredible message. It was really worth, if you didn't hear it yet, go back and listen to it. It's got some great stuff there that we need to know to go forward. Uh, so the, the message, uh, the title of Betty's message was, There Must Be More. And, and, I, and I believe God is beginning to put that longing in the heart of much of the church. There has to be more. There has to be more to being a believer. There has to be more to the gospel. There has to be more than what I've experienced historically. And I've been reading a book on the good news, written by N.T. Wright. And it's interesting, he says, it's 2,000 years old. Why are we still calling it news? What makes it sound like it's late breaking? And what has made it good in the world? I think those are challenges the church faces as well. I think the church isn't completely convinced of the good news. We're going we're gonna to wrestle with that today. And I want to start with a quote Betty gave you last week. And that is, to follow Jesus... To be a believer, to follow him, you're going to have to come to terms with the concept of power. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to come to terms with an understanding of power. It, you can't read the New Testament and not trip across the power of the gospel to transform, to heal, and to set free. It is a signature of the gospel that it operates beyond the normal circumstances of humanity. There's something about it that has a deeper, more powerful connection than our logic, uh, than our thinking, than our medicine, than our power to design, build, construct, and destroy. There's, there's something there that is powerful. And, and because the church historically has really screwed up with power, uh, we have, you know, preachers that are only after the money, or at least that's our view. And in some cases, it's absolutely true. We have false prophets. We have people that are taking advantage of people in the church. We have people that are, that are using power over people in the church, whether it's through guilt, through obligation. We have people that say they heard God, they really didn't. We have people in, in seminars and healing services that say they were healed and they weren't. So, so it's a lot easier to step away from it. It's cleaner to extricate ourselves from that whole group right there. And we kind of want to lump them in. If you're, if you're a person that has just struggled with that, with that whole regime, you know, surely those are with the chandelier swingers and the snake handlers and, and those folks. But then you're going to have to lump Jesus into that group. 
And you have to lump Paul or Peter, Barnabas, Timothy, Stephen, Aquila, Rahab. I mean, you're going to have to trash a lot of people that the Bible speaks well of to make that nice and clean. Or you can say that that no longer operates like that anymore. That we are here to just operate with the Bible, to believe the Bible, to trust the Bible, to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to talk about the Bible. But if you do that, you wind up with another problem that still comes back to a power issue. I heard this once in our Alpha course that, you know, you can get the car, brand new car, it's a fast car, it's a cool car, and you get the manual out and you study the manual from the beginning to the end. Uh, you, you, you order the service manual for it, you know what all the the compression is supposed to be in all the cylinders. You know what the voltage is at, at every point in the circuits. You know what tire pressure is supposed to be. You know how everything works. You've memorized it. You join a club for people who have the same kind of car. You trade notes and pictures. But you've never actually driven that car. That's what happens if you try to make the Bible and just have a good, strong, knowledge-based, philosophical theology about who Jesus was. And you wind up with a church of people that might have thoughts and ideas, beliefs, understandings, but at the end of the day, it's without power. It's not a very fast car if you don't turn the key. Put it in gear and check it out. Years ago, I had a limited production model, Mercury Cyclone. And of course, as a teenager, I traded two cars for it. It had a big block in it. So I decided more is better. So I put two carburetors, two four-barrel carburetors on my car, and uh, we decided to test it out. And I truly almost killed myself. Uh, I, I was racing someone on Westheimer. That, that was not very smart right there, but <laughs> at night, and I had some buddies with me, and I lost control of the car. And we spun about three times, and we wound up in the parking lot of this place I won't mention. Um, and my buddies thought I did that on purpose. I was still trying to get air in my lungs. I, I, was, on, I was just there for the ride. You know, I had no idea what was happening. But we missed all these cars, and we wound up in the parking lot. Of course, I did take complete credit for it once I had air in my lungs. Uh, opened the hood and ripped the linkage off of two of those, of that one of those four barrel carburetors. I think the church does that. I think, I think we, we see power maybe, we, we begin to look at it, introduce it, and somehow it gets, it gets weird in the church, something goes wrong, 
uh, you know, Sister Roberta is now prophesying all kinds of strange things. And, and people remember when we were a nice, quiet, comfortable church that liked to worship. You're going to have to come to terms with the idea and the understanding of reality. But the gospel is about power. Power to change and be changed. Power to intervene in a good way in the lives of humanity. And, and Christians just have to get there. I guess you don't. But to walk out the gospel, to walk with Jesus you're going to have to contend with that reality. It, it won't be a choice. Another contention you're going to have to walk with Jesus, whether you like it or not, actually to even not walk with Jesus, is there is a spiritual dynamic. There is a spiritual warfare that we are in. It's here. It's around you. It affects you. It touches you. It influences you. Sometimes when you get uh, angry over something small for no reason and you're trying to say, gosh, am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I just upset with that person? You know, why is that really going on and you can't really figure that out? There might be a reason for that. Because you're trying to logically explain something that isn't logical. As a, as a believer, if you're going to reach into the New Testament and you're going to understand the gospel, you will have to contend with the reality of a spiritual dynamic, both good and evil. Last week, Betty shared with you some about uh, people out of Hebrews chapter 11. She called heroes of the faith. She mentioned some of those, but then she quickly moved into some of the heroes of the faith in, in our particular movement, specifically John Wimber, Bill Jackson, and uh, Robbie Dawkins. These are all uh, people that, that uh, were crazy. I mean, they sold out for Jesus. They were ordinary people that took a great and powerful risk and they put it all on the table and they sold out for Jesus. And they stayed that way till two of them died and one is still running. There are hundreds of YouTube videos from all, of, from all three of them. There are people all over the world who have been positively influenced and affected by them. They were powerful people. They made a great difference in the lives of humanity. And if you met them, you would like them. And they would like you. Here's where we're going with this today. We're going to look at those heroes of the faith historically. But the punchline is this. All heroes of the faith are are people who walked out life with Jesus. 
It's a difficult thing that people who walk out life with Jesus are so peculiar, so interesting, that a, a tape they make will go viral. And the truth is, God is calling all of us. He's made a way, the purpose of your life, the design of who you are, was to walk in just such a way. The church is terribly shy and short on people who contend with the reality of power in a spiritual world and they partner with Jesus and everything changes. Everything in their life changes. So start in Hebrews chapter 11. I have taken the liberty to kind of abbreviate some of these verses. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. I'm going to violate a rule of my own on that. So I'm asking you to stay with me. You know, don't glaze over, go to sleep, fight the effect of that donut kind of settling in. And, um, and, and the reality is there is more. So we're going to start with verse 4. And I want you to just, we're just going to quickly hit on these people and, and just look at what happened. And some of these you're going to understand, some of them you're not. And, and it's not going to completely matter. So just work with me here. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. By faith uh, that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. If you wonder, what does that mean? It was taken up into heaven without dying. And, uh, and you can read about that and enjoy that. He disappeared because God took him for before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. By faith, Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home, go to another land, God would give him and his inheritance he went without knowing where he was going. And when he reached that land, key point here, he lived there by faith. He didn't just get there by faith. He lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. So, and so did Isaac and Jacob, his, in, his uh, descendants, who inherited the same promise. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And then it kind of has this summation piece, starting with verse 13. And all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it from a distance, and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nobads here on earth, Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they call their own. If they had longed to go to the country they'd come from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to, call them, to, call, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So he kind of 
pulls together kind of a conclusion of these people that he's talked about, Abel and Enoch and, and these guys. But then he continues on. It's like now that was the first group. Then he moves to the second group. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God tested him. Abraham, who received God's promises, was already was ready to sacrifice his only son. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessing for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. By faith, Joseph, who was about to die, said confidently the people of Israel would leave Egypt and, 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 and they would go back home. And he said, even though I'm dead, take my bones. It was by faith. Moses' parents, uh, for three months, uh, they hid their son for three months after he was born. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He was by faith, it was by faith that Moses commanded the, commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angels of death would not kill their firstborn sons. He says, by faith, the people of Israel did this. By faith, the people of Israel did that. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in the city who refused to obey God. And then we have another conclusion statement. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. By faith, all of these overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of flyers, escaped the death of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. That's a victory dance right there, isn't it? A lot of power there. You see, all of that was working and operating in power in a spiritual world. They, they couldn't tell you exactly how it worked either. But they knew God was real. They knew his power was real. And they believed his story more than any other story. Well, after we take that victory lap right there with these guys, and, and if you kind of look at how we see an understanding of the kingdom, some people we pray for are healed, some are not. Sometimes things happen exactly as we pray, sometimes they don't. For many of us, it makes us wonder what's wrong. It makes us skeptical. It makes us a lot of things. 
But that's not different than it was in the New Testament. We don't see that Jesus cleared out hospitals praying for them. We saw that people still died. We saw that there was still sin. We saw that all of those things were still happening. You could see these two kingdoms at war. You could see Peter when he was tempted, and you could see the war between two kingdoms. That war is still real. If you look at the New Testament, it's not clean. It's not perfect. There are liars, there are power mongers, there are all kinds of things done in the name of religion, done in the name of Jesus. It's not different today. So we have this term, the already and the not yet of the kingdom. They're both happening. They're both a reality. But if I pray for 20 people and one is healed, I'll bet you they're still glad I prayed. If I pray for 1,000 cancer patients and one of them is completely healed, I know that one in 1,000 is really glad that I prayed for 1,000. And will forever be thankful that I took a thousand swings. So God has called us to be a people of power in a world that is broken and imperfect. That's what he's called us to be. And you can make a list of what you like about that and what you don't like about that. And, and your list won't really matter at the end of the day. So we had our victory lap. Let's look at the next part. Then it says, but others did not take the victory lap, tortured, refusing to turn from God's order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goat, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. I skipped down. Wandering over deserts, mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Go back up and God's statement is, they were too good for this world. No victory lap there, was it? Same heroes of the faith. Same players to the death. If you take the scripture, it's not a model for how to be successful at everything you put your hand to. It is how to walk by faith in a way that transforms you and everything around you. God wants us to trust him with how the power works. But he's calling you and I to love the world, to love people in a way that we take that risk. Melinda is really struggling. My wife is really struggling with a sciatic nerve pain. 
uh, we were in Monterey, and, and uh, we're waiting on our rent car. We get there at 10 o'clock at night, and the rental car people have already gone home. We have to call them. We have to wait for them to come back. She's, you know, dying on the pavement there, waiting for them to come. Good trooper. Guy comes. He opens the door. She's kind of laid up in this, you know, beat-up chair with her leg all crimped up in pain. As we're about to finish up our paperwork, it's late. If you know Melinda, after 9 is late. It's like 11.30. We've been at it all day long. And here's what she says. Is there anything we can pray for you? Are you in pain? Here's this woman full of pain sitting there extending the truth of the kingdom to the stranger and the look on his face. He said, my father has cancer. Would you pray for my father? And Melinda in, you know, iffy Spanish. Good Spanish. Better than my Spanish. Was praying for this man's father for complete healing. That's what the gospel does to people. That's what it does. You see, that's when the gospel has begun to achieve. You see, if I have to be healed, if I have to hear God's reason, if, if I have to have these things, then I am not a person who walks by faith. I am a person who walks by sight. I am from the show-me state. God, you show me healing for me, and I will pray for healing for others. But I know people in this church that have terminal illnesses, and they are the first to pray for the sick. We went with a guy in Baton Rouge, and he's praying for the He's at a mall. He's in a wheelchair. He rolls up this person can I pray for you? And this guy was sick, and he said, I can pray for you, and you will be healed. And he's looking at him in the wheelchair like, what's the deal, man? He said, today is not about me. Today is about you. Isn't that a great answer? You see, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Today is about you. If we are stuck on the outcome, if we are stuck on what it looks like day in and day out, you will not be able to walk with God. You won't do it. You will back up and stop or you will walk away. I have done both. Many of you know this, but many years ago, had a great marriage, not the marriage I'm in, 
My marriage is great that I'm in. I was in a different marriage. Let me see how many ways I can mess this up, okay? Went to church, believed in Jesus, walked out my life in Jesus. I was a youth director at the church. My wife was my helper. I come home on a Friday night, and she says, I'm leaving. Really? You know, I can tell you, I was probably a year that soaking in. She left. She didn't want to be married anymore. Not a fight. Not an argument, nothing. So I go to God. What happened? How did this happen? I mean, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pure. What happened? I mean, there's two things that are real fail here. One is my marriage failed. The other is I didn't know it was bad. I know guys are notoriously stupid on that level. But I, I tell you, I had some help. I pleaded with God, tell me what went wrong. Here's what he said to me. Do you trust me? And I would come up with yes, but. And we had this conversation over and over and over and over again. And I started going back to church, but I would sit in the back. I'd come a little late, leave a little early so I don't have to engage anybody. And the sermon would just melt me and the worship would kill me and I'm in tears back there. I'm talking with God and he's talking with me and it always would come down to this question, do you trust me? And finally, I got honest with him. I said, no, I don't trust you. Not with my heart. I trust you with my life, my money, blah, blah, blah. We had that conversation almost daily. And there'd be times when I'd be encouraged. I was like, oh, God, you're awesome. I'd start kind of getting this, you know, kind of going inside me. And, and then he would just, I mean, he would kill it all with that question. Oh, God, I love you. You know, I want to walk with you. Blah, blah, blah. He says, will you trust me with your heart? It was just a conversation stopper right there. Like, no, I won't. You, you owe me this one. You owe me, a, you owe me an explanation. It doesn't even have to be a good one. Give me something. Nothing. So we had a conversation over and over and over and over and over again. And then one night, it was a Friday night, we had kind of a worship service. I got there really late. It was tax night, April 15th. It was raining a lot. My keys in my car. Had a really bad day at work. It was just a sucky day, you know. And I show up in worship, and it was right. I missed it, really. It was at the end. They were praying for people. I was just so glad to be there. Sat down in the back row, my spot, just started crying. 
And across the room, I see, I see the pastor praying for someone. He's got his hands on him. He's like over here. And I'm way over on the other side. And he's like this. He's praying for them. He's not even paying attention to them. Just praying. He's looking at he's, he's eyeballing me. And I thought, this is not good. Because I don't want him coming over to me. I don't want him praying for me. So I do what I do. Oh, I clean it up, you know. I'm good, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at stuff. And, and, uh, and so I look at him. Now he's moved over there and he's praying for someone. He's not looking at me anymore. I just break down into a puddle again. And he sneaks up behind me. Very wrong. Sneaks up behind me and says, can I pray for you? I feel the pressure. Okay. So he just leans forward. He puts his hand on my chest and he says, God wants to heal you of a broken heart. But it's going to hurt. Like I didn't know that. But I just, I just started, I mean, I just felt like I was, it was quitting time. I said, uncle. I said, God, I'm going to trust you with my heart. But please be careful with it. Because you like to give it to other people, and they screw it up. And so as soon as I did this, here's what he said to me. Now I want you to go to the front of the church and tell everybody what you've done. He is relentless. He will not let you off with some soft, mealy answer. And if you give him one of those, the first thing he's going to do is put it in play. You say yes, he's going to run with your yes. You say maybe, he will push it to a yes or a no. Maybe, maybe everything is pushed to fail with God. Because he wants you to walk with him. And he's a spiritual God. And he's a powerful God. And you'll have to accept that about him. And you'll have to accept some of the mystery that comes with that. Why he didn't answer that question. Why he didn't answer that prayer. Or why he answered it the way he did. So I walked up to the front of that church. I told everybody, my name is Bill Laswell. And I just gave Jesus my heart. And they probably thought I just got saved. You know, I didn't feel like it was worth explaining. But I told him the truth. I said, you know, I've had a fight with God, and he wants me to trust him with my heart. Tonight I'm going to do that. 1994, April 15th. It was the day I said yes. One of the greatest days of my life. I sat on that back row 10 years. That's how long I said no to God. In fact, the pastor did not even know my name. I'd been in his church 10 years. No one knew my name. But Jesus did. He sat on the back row with me and asked me the same freaking question. For 10 years. I'm spirit and I'm power. 
and you won't always understand what I do or what I say, but will you trust me? I'm always in it for you. Will you trust me that I love you? I have 10 years I want to make up. 10 years of rebellion. I know that God is gracious to rebels. He sat back there for 10 years asking me the same stupid question. Waiting. When the church embraces its identity, you and I, then we will be able to be the church. And the world will know because we will be powerful. I pray for people more and more. I take every opportunity I find to pray for people. I get bolder and bolder in my prayer. There's a guy who works with us, got out of the car in Monterey, and immediately when he did, his shoulder froze up, full of pain. He just gets out of the car. He's just full of pain. His arm is like this. So what do you think? Sounds demonic to me. So I prayed. I said, are you healed? No. Prayed. Are you healed? No. Prayed. Are you healed? It's better. Let's pray again. Pray. Are you healed? No. I prayed for him like eight times that night, off and on. I'm not backing off. I'm not backing off. And then something comes into my head, which I am not smart enough at the moment to know what it is. But I would believe it's the Lord. Here's what came into my head. Get him a massage. All right. So I called somebody, got a masseuse over there, got him a massage. By the end of the hour, the pain was completely gone. Completely gone, right? Now, my first thought was, dang, I gave it all I had eight times. I didn't do anything. Masseuse comes in. It's done. And later on, I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, who do you think gave you the thought? How many times have you ordered a masseuse for anybody in your life? I thought, okay. I can live with that. I like that. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Do you hear the word us in there? 
You see, the next page is you and me. The people of God still walk with the same God, the same power, and the same spiritual reality. When we go on in chapter 12, it's right after chapter 11, that's the reference where it says, therefore, since you have this great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off the things that that hinder us. Let's throw off the sin. Let's throw off the things that hold us back. And it says, run with endurance the race prepared for you. You get it? Heroes of the faith. And then they say, they end that with us language. And they say, therefore, you've got this great cloud of people, this great mass of heroes, not just the 30 or 40 mentioned here, but the people who have walked it out in power and in spirit. They modeled what it's like to be a people of God. It says, now, throw off the things that hold you back. Your fear, your anger, your unbelief. Throw off your laziness. Throw off your ignorance. Throw off your rebellion. Throw off the things that hold you back and run the race that was prepared for you. In the language that we use hero here, you were created to be a hero. You were created with a race with God. That's your destiny. Much of the church, I think, waits out its destiny only to leave it to the next generation. And our purpose and our destiny go unfulfilled and empty. But it was paid for, and it was designed. And I think we're never really satisfied until we're there. I think it's why Americans seem to get more and more angry and entitled. We, we are owed everything. It's because we have everything we're still not satisfied. We're still not happy. I had a breakfast two days ago. I mean, you know what? In other countries, here's what they would have said. Arrogant Americans. They brought out this breakfast for me. I'm not going to exaggerate this. It was about that tall, maybe six inches tall and about that big. It was like everything, you know, the kitchen sink kind of thing. It was called an all-in. Man, it was all-in. I said, I can't eat that. It weighs like 12 pounds. That's like a medium-sized child. Eat some French toast. I would have fed like three families in another country. But we're still not satisfied. It needed a little more hot sauce. A little less of this, 
We're never satisfied. You know why? Because we're not in our purpose. We're not running our race. We're screwing around. We're waiting on life to get perfect and better. When the problem is we're missing out on our race. The day I said yes to Jesus again, my life fell into place. I was no longer, I mean, I can't tell what, you know, for 10 years I walked around and had a big D on my forehead. It's not there anymore. And it's not because I'm remarried. It's because Jesus took it off of me because I had runner on my forehead. If you would stand.